And welcome to the Bleacher Connection with your host, Ken and Trevor. On social media, you can find Trevor at the BleacherCon1. I'm at the BleacherCon2. This week, well, for us, this is uh, recording 2.0. Uh, one of us, I, I may be the culprit, uh, forgot to hit record. Um, thankfully, we have a, a very understanding guest. As we had kind of teased, we were going to have someone on this week to talk CFL football. Well, uh, we did. <laughs> we, we did. We, we had him here and we talked CFL football with uh, Jason Mullis, who goes by at CFL Hobo. Uh, except for, you know, the person who is in charge of hitting record, uh, me, didn't do that. I don't know what the hell happened. I just a complete mental free, like mental brain freeze. I don't know what you want to call it, but we, I, we went to end the show and I realized I didn't hit record. <laughs> <sighs> well, what I can chalk that up to Ken is obviously you're a little overwhelmed after watching your BC lions get absolutely crushed last night by my Calgary Stampeders. So I'm willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. Uh, thankfully for us, uh, for those of you that don't know, CFL hobo, Jason Mullis, he just loves talking football and he's already agreed. Yeah, we're just going to do this all over again next week. So hopefully without any technical difficulties from my broadcast partner here, we should be able to bring you that episode next weekend. And we're really excited that Jason has agreed to, you know, shoot the breeze with us again. Cause let me tell you, the guy's got some great stories. He's been there, done that everything Canadian football league you'd ever want to know. He's got it from ownership groups to fans around the league. I got a lot of respect for this guy and what he's done traveling across Canada with his two kids. And again, we just chatted an hour of CFL football. I'm looking forward to chatting another hour of CFL football with them. And hopefully this time you guys get to hear it too. So it's all good. I I will be leaving myself a nice little uh, affirmation to hit record um, every time we do this. Cause (laughs) yeah, not feeling too bright right now. But anyway, it's it's all in good fun, and actually, in the words of, of the CFL Hobo, it's okay, life goes on. So Ken and I are actually having a lot of fun right now. We're just about to do hour two of recording right back-to-back. Technically hour one, but... Yeah, and uh, we're kind of going off of the seat of our pants a little bit. Um, we didn't have, obviously, we had our other episode planned out for this week. So on this week's episode, we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants here. I just brought it up, though. The first thing we're going to talk about this week is the Stampeders and Lions game from this weekend. It had huge ramifications in the CFL standings. And again, one of us is happier than the other this morning about that game. So we're going to talk a little bit about our two teams, the Calgary Stampeders and the BC Lions. We're also going to talk a little bit about what was week one in the NHL. What did we see from the Vancouver Canucks? What did we see from the Calgary Flames this week? Also, what kind of caught our eye across the league in general. So, again, this is a very, very impromptu episode. But to me, Ken, we've done this a few times. These are some of our best episodes where it is literally just straight off the cuff, whatever we feel like saying, nothing planned. And whatever is said is said. It should all be in good fun. So I'm going to let you get going here right away. Ken, Last night, the Calgary Stampeders beat the British Columbia Lions 39 to 10. It was a game that 
The BC Lions essentially could have buried the Calgary Stampeders in the standings, all but eliminating their playoff hopes in the Western Conference. Didn't happen. Ken, what happened to the BC Lions? Well, I think the loss of Lucky Whitehead is is showing how much of an impact it's going to have. Uh, he broke his hand against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. He's had surgery. He's had plates and, and screws put in, and he's going to be out for a little bit. And, and it's going to hurt because teams are going to be able to focus in on Brian Burnham solely. And, yeah, he had seven receptions for 93 yards last night. That was the majority of Mike Riley's passing yards. He only had 145 yards, 13 for 25. And one of the big stats that comes out of that, two interceptions. Um, They're not playing that good right now. I know they got beat by almost an identical score against Winnipeg, but Winnipeg is the class of that, of the Western division. And for them to lose like that to Winnipeg, okay, but shake it off, get going and come back. The Lions went into this game one in four against the West. And now they're one in five with the shortened season, the truncated schedule, not playing everyone as much as you would. If you can only beat the East, that's not going to help you because the Lions only have three games left against the East. And I don't know if those games would get them into the playoffs, even winning if Calgary stays hot and, Saskatchewan sticks around here and there. It could be a log jam, very difficult for them to make it. They don't run the ball a lot. You know, they just released Shaq Cooper. So you know they're going to throw. I think they may have become a little too predictable. And if you don't have to worry about the run, you just cover the receivers and you're, you're a lot of two and outs. We saw that last night. You actually just brought up a really big point that I was going to jump in on and you actually brought it up. And that was the lack of a running game by the BC Lions. In week, I think it was week two, the two teams met early on. And one of the things that BC did very well that game was a lot of kind of, let's say, screen pass, which kind of in Canadian Football League terms is kind of a running game. They did that to perfection. They did so many kind of short, intermediate, almost running style plays and running games, and they tore up the Calgary Stampeders in that game. They've had so many first and 10 plays where they gained 15 yards on a screen pass or a sweep. And you didn't see that last night. You didn't see it at all. You have James Butler got six carries last night for 29 yards. That that's not like the CFL is a pass happy game, but you, you still have to establish a run game. And I felt like last night there wasn't at all. And then on the other side of the ball, I think, the, the Calgary Stampeders put emphasis on running the ball because that opens up the play action game. And Kadeem Carey had close to 70 yards and Rock Thomas making his debut for the Calgary Stampeders last night at 27 yards. So the Stampeders had close to hundred yards worth of rushing and in the Canadian football league. That's a lot. The BC lions had roughly 60. I, if I'm, I'm going off the top of my head, that's well, a significant yeah. difference that that's a, a major significant difference. And then you got Mike Riley under siege because of it. The Calgary Stampeders front line was able to just batten down the hatches and go. And you saw a lot of pressure on Michael Riley last night and it showed he only had 145 yards passing in the game. 
in the first meeting, he had almost 400 yards passing because the BC Lions did a way better job of establishing the line of scrimmage on the offensive side of the ball than they did last night. Well, I'll give you a score here. Calgary defensive line three, BC defensive line zero. Riley got sacked three times. And that was something I said to you and maybe I jinxed it. I don't know, but I said it to you because we were actually on zoom uh, watching the game a little bit last night. And I said to you, the offensive line has done a better job at keeping Riley clean, keep letting him do his thing. And that didn't happen last night. Um, He got sacked three times. And when you know, there is no rush, you don't have to worry about trying to stop it as a defensive lineman. You just go, okay, I got to get through the linebackers are good. I got to create a hole for the linebacker to get through and try and get a sack. And that was happening. So a lot of pressure, a lot of rushed, but you got to You got to make those passes somehow. You got to get moving. It just, whatever was working at the beginning of the season for them has stopped. And I think it is, they've become too predictable and maybe Butler can be the running back of the future because he is a rookie, but yeah, it just, he had 47 yards in the air, James Butler, and he only had 29 on the ground. So that's, you should have a different bit of a split there. You should have more running yards as a running back than receiving. Most likely. Yeah. But like Riley had half of what he got gets usually gets in a game. Um, you know, Nathan Rourke came in for the, the garbage minutes and had was 11 for 17 and 115 yards. The that's but, playing it's a pretty soft defense. Oh, I, it just throwing it underneath, though. So. Yeah, and that's and that's why I called it garbage minutes because it, it you, you didn't hear it here first. There's no yeah. quarterback controversy no. the, with the BC Lions. No, but I'm just saying, like the whole total yardage for the game for the Lions is well below their average in the air. Right. Yeah. So is that because they're trying to do too much because lucky whitehead's out. Right. I, I I've loved that one, two punch with him and Burnham this year. And when, when it's worked, the lions have won the games. And when he's been out the last two, because he got hurt early in that Winnipeg game, it hasn't. So yeah. they, they got to turn it around and they got to turn it around quick. Cause it's a log jam in the middle of the West division right now. Oh, yeah. You asked hot. me three weeks ago. There's there's one team that's really hot and two that aren't. And if you would have asked me three weeks ago, I'd said the Stampeders were done. And heading into two very tough games against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders that I had very low expectations on. And now all of a sudden, and I posted this last night on Twitter and Facebook, it's like, wow, I think the Stampeders are back, baby. Like they've gone and reeled off three significant wins in in the western division they have created a log jam with the the saskatchewan riders bc lions and and the stampeders i think all of them have five wins now like uh, B, you guys are saskatchewan five have six. yeah no, we're five that i believe the stampeders have still played one more game so they're yes. still they're not in the driver's seat but with the way they're playing they might actually be in the driver's seat so um, yeah, the stamps are five and five. The riders are five and four, and BC's four and five. So oh, BC's four and five. Sorry, I thought yeah. BC had five wins. No, and we do play. No, they've had two uh, two buys in the, like the last month. So they've uh, they're they're behind everyone in in games played, just as the riders are right now. 
to me, the one of the big storylines from last night's game, and fingers crossed, this is what I get for the rest of the season, the emergence of Bo Levi Mitchell as Bo Levi Mitchell. He managed a game like Bo Levi Mitchell does. Last night was the first time all season that he didn't throw an interception in a game. In the first meeting, he threw, I believe, four interceptions against the BC Lions. We've, I've been watching, I see every game. I've watched Bo play every game, of pretty much of his career. To start this season, there has been something off with Bo Levi Mitchell. And I don't know if it's a young, inexperienced receiving uh, receiving core or I'm watching a decline. I don't know. I'm not willing to say either way. But what I saw last night was more Bo Levi Mitchell of what I've seen in years past than I have so far this year. Little concerning point for me is the fact that the Calgary Stampeders did end up settling on six field goals. Rennie Paredes was six for six on field goals and should win special teams player of the week, except for maybe uh, Rock Thomas with his kickoff return. That might trump it, but a little bit of lacking that killer instinct in the, in the red zone, green zone, whatever you want to call it, the money-making zone. Settling for six field goals isn't good enough, but he managed the game well, moved the offense on almost every drive. Very few two and outs last night by the Calgary Stampeders, which has not been what we've seen for the most of this season. Starting three weeks ago, another thing that I've, I've really noticed is they've committed to a run game and they've committed to Kadeem Carey getting a decent amount of carries. And Kadeem Carey looks like he has confidence. He's hitting the line and breaking tackles. He's turning a, a three-yard gain into a six-yard gain. There's a lot more confidence there than there was early on in the year. And I think the Calgary Stampeders are just starting to hit form and they very well might be the second best team in the Western division right now. I think BC Michael Riley is in my opinion, still the best quarterback in the Canadian football league. And as long as the BC lions have him, they can win any game. Saskatchewan has such a home field advantage whenever you play there that they're, they're a very difficult out at Mosaic Stadium, and they get this rider magic somehow. They always, in the clutch, have rider magic. Um, Cody Fajardo is struggling a little bit this year, so he, he isn't as dominant as he was in 2019. I'm fascinated to see how the West plays out. Edmonton's done. I think we can agree that. Yeah. They, they, they just traded uh, Trevor, Trevor Harris to the Montreal Alouettes today. They've pretty much raised the white flag and they're done. Um, Ken, if you had to handicap the West, there's Winnipeg. Who finishes second? Well, with how things are going right now over the last couple of weeks, I mean, you guys have you played Saskatchewan twice than us. You play Saskatchewan again. That's going to be a huge game because that's either going to Puts us, one of the one of you is going to go ahead. One of you is going to have six wins, and with the way things are going right now, with Saskatchewan on a bit of a slide and the Stamps playing better football, I, I could see the Stamps being in second place by the end of next weekend. At the end of next week, um, I think it's going to be a bit of a dogfight between BC and Saskatchewan to get that third spot. Possibly put themselves in a in a crossover position. 
Uh, I know the Lions and Stamps play again. And, uh, we, you know, we were talking about the last night, whether they did or not, and they do in BC again. But it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And if if BC can turn it around, I think they could have a shot at second, but it's going to be an uphill battle. I think Calgary, if they can maintain, they're on a on a roll right now. I think they've got the inside inside track. I'm, I'm going to look at the three teams and I'm going to look at the defenses of the three teams. And based on the recent history, the Calgary Stampeders defense is very good. It, it started, it struggled to start the season. Uh, that's, I'm going to put it mildly that our front line, it was Sean Lemon has in the last, ever since the Labor Day rematch, every game now, they have been a force to, to reckon with. Our defense is giving up barely 15 points a game in those four games. They've come to play. I then think the Saskatchewan defense is probably next in line. And I think BC is probably third. Now the BC defense is still very good. Uh, they're they're uh, linebacker, not linebacking. The defensive backs, TJ Lee is just a tremendous player. Uh, he got burned last night for a relatively soft pass interference call, but still a penalty. He's an outstanding, he's probably one of the best defensive backs in the league and a difference maker. So I think based on the defenses alone, I believe Calgary's is the best of those three. Not by much though. And I don't know how this is going to play off. BC started out on fire. There's a reason they started out on fire. Like they're a good team. And if they finish second, I would not be surprised, but just based on how things are trending, I do tend to agree with you. I think, the Stampeders, I think, have the inside track, but they have to beat the Riders for a third time in three, well, three and a half weeks, which is very difficult to do. And if they don't, I just, I don't know that they're going to be able to make up that game then to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Yeah, it's it's tight. I mean, we, first place is done, decided, and we can talk yeah, about the Bombers. Through Winnipeg. Yeah, we can talk about the Bombers when we get to playoffs, but. Two, two, three, four in that in this division is going to be very difficult, and potentially crossover. They usually don't work out well for the team going, but there there is that possibility. So either way, it, it's fun to watch with uh, when it comes to the CFL. My biggest worry about the Stampeders is they have a bit of a ragtag uh, receiving core right now. Bo Levi Mitchell did a really good job in this weekend's game finding nine different receivers, but. We're not exactly trotting out marquee receivers week after week right now. Hopefully Kamar Jordan can come back and healthy. Hopefully Josh Huff can come back and healthy. That's where I I look at the BC lines. They have the best receiver in the Canadian football league in Brian Burnham on their team. So I have to give them a major leg up there. Uh, Saskatchewan has a decent receiving core, but I think it's very similar to Calgary's where it doesn't have that huge game breaker. Um, so I think just all around, if I had to give the edge offensively to any team, it's clearly the BC Lions. But like we just mentioned in our unrecorded show with Jason, touchdowns are down in the CFL and it seems like field goals are up. So if one of these three teams can all of a sudden get hot in the red zone, well, they're going to finish second. If they oh, yeah. can convert some more touchdown or some more field goals into touchdowns, they're going to finish second. But we haven't seen it so far this year. Rennie Paredes was six for six in field goals 
that's not good enough. Like you can't be kicking six field goals. I don't mean Randy Paredes isn't good enough. He's the best in, in CFL history. You can't be kicking six field goals in a game. The BC Lions had a couple drives last night where they stalled right around the 20, and unfortunately they missed a 30-yard field goal, which absolutely sunk their ship. But they only the Riders, put themselves in, they put them in a, themselves in a position to only take two shots at a field goal. Yeah. So they weren't even close enough to get to try to try more, right? So that the the we talk about the red zone offense and stalling it, it that was a definite example of it last night. So in my opinion, whichever of those three teams figures out how to score more touchdowns than field goals, they're going to be the ones hosting the West semifinal. And quite possibly they'll be the ones going to Winnipeg to face the blue bombers in the West final. It, it, it lack of execution in, in the league in general this year, when it comes to red zone offense. And I hope that changes because touchdowns are sexy field goals. Aren't no, no. And, and- <laughs> And there's been a lot of changeover in kickers this year because they can't make them, even the easy ones, right? Like the Lions are on their second field goal kicker this season because the the first guy they had kicking field goals couldn't hit. So I want to kind of ask you this question because you brought up the kicking. And you see in the CFL, there's a lot of field goals kicked this year. And people who are more NFL on the side of that being the better game are saying that, Oh, there's too many kicks, too many missed field goals. You know, the CFL is a, is not good football yet. When you get the NFL and Mason Crosby of the the Packers missed a a couple field goals, important ones a week or two ago. Oh, the kicker's horrible. Oh, it's just the kicker. It's just the kicker. Well, a missed field goal is a missed field goal. Do you think that that comparison of saying that the CFL is, not good football because of the, the kicking game versus the NFL where the same thing happens. And well, it's just the kicker sucks. The, the game's still fine. <laughs> That's uh, kind of a loaded question if you ask me, but to me, it's, it's a missed field goal is a missed field goal, whether it's the Canadian football league, the national football league, the XFL, the arena football league, hell rugby, a, a missed kick is a missed kick. And it doesn't, deteriorate the quality of the play in any of the leagues as a result of it. And it's not, Oh, this league sucks. Their field goals can't make kickers. No, that's not it at all. One of the things I actually appreciate about the fact of the Canadian football league is you can return a missed field goal. And we saw it in last week's game, the Calgary St. Peters against the rough riders where Rennie Paredes missed one of the few field goals this season and the riders gained huge momentum off of a 50 yard return on it that actually set up their only offensive touchdown of the game. So to me, it was a missed field goal that was actually almost a turning point in that game and generated a significant, significant amount of excitement. The crowd was going wild in Regina after that return. Like to me, you want to talk about quality of the game. I'm sorry. A, a, a CFL missed field goal return is very exciting. Because yeah. you've got a bunch of 350-pound linemen trying to track down a 200-pound speed demon coming out of a huge end zone. It is a lot of excitement. So do I think that that's an indictment of the league, any league in any way? No, it's not. I think it's just more to do with 
we're seeing rusty players across the board in a lot of leagues and offensively, defensively, special teams, kicking, field goals, punts. It's just not as crisp as it is in most seasons. And I think that has more to do with missing a year and being out of rhythm than anything else. I was just going to say, like most teams have played, you know, nine or 10 games now. That's where we're at in the season. And a lot of these guys, as you just said, they didn't play for what almost a year and a half or whatever it was. So now they've played 10 weeks and they're like, Oh crap. Like I, I, there's guys that are in shape still and are doing fine. And there's other guys that were maybe catching up with them a little bit. The one thing I wanted to say with the kickers, what I find funny is you've got a lot of outspoken NFL quarterbacks who tend to crap on the kicker when they, when they miss a field goal. And it's like thinking about it through this conversation, it's like, you're giving them crap for missing a 50 yard field goal because you and the offense couldn't move the ball 10 yards to get a first down. So it's one of those things that, you know, as a quarterback, you get a lot of leeway because it's your team. You're the guy on offense, but you know, you can't get it 10 yards and you're giving another guy crap for not being able to kick a field goal from a stationary point with, as you say, some big boys coming down on them to, to try and uh, stop it from happening. Actually, I want to I want to dovetail off of that point, and we actually had something similar happen in the Stampeders versus Lions game last night, where Bo Levi Mitchell on the field pretty much confronted, uh, I believe it was Malik Henry after running the wrong route in the end zone that cost the Stampeders a touchdown last night. Uh, Henry Malik Henry zigged when he should have zagged, and it ended up being a pass to nobody. Bo Levi Mitchell went right up to him with the camera on him. And you could see he was mad and he was giving him the what for. I, at the time, didn't have a huge issue with it. And I was kind of like, you know, I like to see that fire from Bo Levi Mitchell. But then I got thinking about it and they brought it up in the halftime. And I believe it was either Matt Dunnigan said, you can't do that on the field, do that on the sideline. And, you know, it's like, you're right. You don't do that on the field because you're, you're showing up one of your teammates. And I appreciate the fire and the passion of Bo Levi Mitchell. That's one of the reasons I've always appreciated him in Calgary as our quarterback, but you did show up one of your teammates and I think you need to own it. Ken, did you have a problem with what he did last night? Yeah. I mean, like I said, you and I were kind of watching the game on zoom at the same when that happened. And I kind of called it out as a Dave Dickinson moment, who is the head coach of the Stampeders because I, I wasn't a fan of it. I didn't like it because I've seen, you know, more so the Dave Dickinson side of things where he would call out his receivers for not making a catch, whether the ball was catchable or not. It could have been sailed 15 yards over the guy's head or thrown more out of bounds than, and no, there was no way for him to catch, but he's yelling at him. I don't like it. I think it should, I agree with what the panel said and that it should have been done on the sidelines because let's, let's not forget Bo Levi Mitchell is not 110% accurate. He's going to underthrow a ball. He's going to overthrow a ball. It's going to get deflected. So how would he appreciate his intended target coming back to him and said, why didn't you get out of the way of that lineman? So it didn't get deflected and I could get a catch or the guy that was 
open by 30 yards on the other side of the field that he didn't throw to show come and yell at him for not picking him when he's wide open. I, it just, it, it's never, yeah, it's never a good thing to call out your teammate on the field. And I will, you know, going to a different sport, go to soccer. Goaltenders do it all the time when a, the ball comes in and they get a shot on net or something that's, you know, that doesn't even get the shot on net, but they're yelling at their defenders. They're going at them. A soccer goalie maybe has to make two to three saves in 90 minutes. So fine. You want to show up your teammates, expect it back. And if it happens, you got to take it. I'm not a fan of it because no one's perfect. No, well, I'm close, but uh, what's the topic? What do we, you know? <laughs> um, well, you didn't remind me to hit record earlier, so no, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, like I don't like it. I think it, there's, like you say, have those conversations in the locker room or on the sidelines, but it, it doesn't do anything to show them up, right? Like, I don't know, not a fan. I want to I want to switch gears here. We're we're talking about one quarterback in Alberta, and I want to talk about a now former quarterback in El, from Alberta with the Edmonton Elks. And Trevor Harris got traded to the Montreal Alouettes, and I'm not so much focused on that. I understand why they made that trade. Vernon Adams looks like he's hopefully he's back this season. He's a young star in the league, and and Montreal has a burning need at quarterback. I want to focus on the Edmonton Elks. Where did this all go wrong with them? Like you, you brought in Trevor Harris and Greg Ellingson from the Ottawa Red Blacks two off seasons ago. It was supposed to like rejuvenate the team, rejuvenate the fan base. It didn't happen. And, and Trevor Harris looked mediocre at best. And one of our former guests, Garrett De- Dennis actually called him out on Twitter for being a pretender essentially and it was like, whoa, that's some pretty harsh words. Where did this all go wrong? Like, what, what is stealing an Oilers analogy? What's in the water in Edmonton? There's something not right there. Well, two seasons ago in 2019, which was Trevor Harris and Edmonton's first season in Edmonton, they were eight and 10. So they finished fourth. I, I, they went to the crossover because the Argos were four and 14 and the red blacks were the red blacks. But so they, they really didn't see a lot of that success uh, in the West division. Of course, the bombers stamps and rough riders all had, you know, really good seasons. So you're going to have a losing record if you, when you're facing those teams a lot, but this year is just completely tanked. And I, I want to point to the front office. And, and their GM, Brock Sunderland. What's coming out of Edmonton this week and out of the past couple of weeks is that, and even Derek Dennis brought it up too, like how they treat their players and how they treat the people in and around the organization doesn't seem to be all that great. So I think as a player, when you can see how people are getting treated and what's going on, is it, and you know, it's not good, is it really going to be? a motivating factor to give your all when it doesn't matter who or what you do, you're, you're just a number to them and they'll get rid of you whenever they want. I think it's the front office. I got to think it's a more of a problem 
upstairs than it is on the field necessarily. I can't disagree with anything you've said there. And it's very public as well that there's problems in the front office in Edmonton. I am surprised at how much of an, an effect it has on the on-field product. I, I really am. Cause I still feel at the end of the day, the players are the players and they get paid to play football and win football games. So I'm not trying to give them a pass. I'm just surprised at how much of an effect it actually has had on that team on the field. The Elks lost two games, two games to the horrific Ottawa Red Blacks. Like those guys haven't even been in any other games and somehow managed to win or to beat the, the Elks twice. I'm going to go back to Labor Day for the Calgary Stampeders and I'm going to go, how the hell did you lose to this Elks team? And not only how the hell did you lose? You looked awful in doing it. Like the Elks looked like great cup champions. Trevor Harris was throwing 50 yard pass after 50 yard pass. And I'm going to look at that game as kind of a, a, a microcosm of what should have been for the Elks. Like you've got a great receiving core in Edmonton. You've got a, pretty good quarterback what is going on we see flashes of it here and there and then all of a sudden it just it was almost like when they lost that rematch to calgary it was just like okay our season's over we're done and it has been off the rails ever since in edmonton and you just mentioned it 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 coincides with a lot of rumblings from ex-players about the problems in the front office, but I am really shocked how much of an impact it has on the actual on-field product. Yeah, I mean, Derek, Derek Dennis chose not to go. He sat out this season. They they brought Sean Lemon in, cut him. A lot of veterans went in there and got cut. Um, now, and a lot of it was pointed to Brock Sunderland and there was that uh i'm gonna throw this to you the equipment manager Dwayne. uh was it Man- andrusiak yeah 49 years with the team and then you just like all right we're done peace, you're out yeah and i know calvin mccarty he was very vocal on twitter about that right and here's a guy who decided to retire and then came back and signed with calgary calvin yeah. mccarty was a was an edmonton elk for like you know his entire career under a different name for a lot of it but he he was an edmonton player he was one guy you looked at and went man he has played his entire career with one team in the cfl that is absolutely unheard of g roy simon probably one of the greatest wide receivers to ever play the canadian game didn't play with one team yeah right like and that's not a that's not a shot at calvin or anything like that just saying that in a league with a lot of changeover, Calvin McCarty was the staple. Yes. I can't think of any other player that played as long as he did for one team. It just doesn't happen. Jason Claremont in BC, longtime BC, great, finished as a rider. Yeah. Right? Like, it just, it's one of those things. I, the, I think there's got to be something going on. The Eskimos slash Elks franchise or I guess the gold and yellow, green and gold, whatever color it's giving you. They used to be the standard of what a CFL organization was. They won championship 
our championship players were lined up to play there. They all wanted to play in Edmonton for the Eskimos slash Elks. It was the place to play and something has changed. There definitely something has changed and there are a lot of rumblings. Odell Willis also out on Twitter, you know, I don't want to say slagging them, but saying there there's problems there. So I'm surprised for the sake of the CFL. I hope the Elks franchise gets, gets it back together as a Calgary Stan Peters fan. I'm loving this. <laughs> they can stay. And I'm sure you're loving it too. Yeah. They can stay like this for a decade for all I care. Watching them get plastered left, right, and center is, is a blast. Well, I said this to, to someone at work uh, the other day, he's a stamps fan like yourself I said, when it comes to CFL, I love the game. I'll watch every single one of them, but I dislike every team east of the Rockies. And so, yep, I, I share a very same sentiment. I love my team and I'll watch every game, but there's one team clearly better than the rest of the teams in this league, and that's mine. It's straight up. Oh, um, I would go with Winnipeg right now. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, we would love to hear from you, CFL fans. Eskimo, sorry, not Eskimo, Elk fans, Stampeder fans, Lions fans. Reach out to us on Twitter at the BleacherCon1. Ken is at the BleacherCon2. What do you guys think is wrong in Edmonton? Who's going to finish second in the West? We would love to hear from you guys. We're going to switch gears here and we're going to talk some NHL. Week one is pretty much in the books. Uh, Some of my teams have only played one game. Some of Other teams have already played three games, kind of an interesting schedule to uh, start the season, to say the least. Ken, what's been the biggest surprise for you so far in the NHL after one week? Well, I think the one thing that's a surprise is, and let's, let's start with what you kind of brought up. There's teams that have played three games and there's teams that have played one. And to me, that makes absolutely zero cents when you had you know i'll take my my vancouver canucks they opened on a wednesday against edmonton then played friday saturday where edmonton sat until saturday where they played your calgary flames why did that have to happen like why are they spreading it out and why are they every team that's played three games has played a back-to-back to me that's ridiculous like why you're doing this so quickly to teams. Um, what, I, what I find, I don't have an issue with the back-to-back. I just find it incredibly just kind of odd that there was a handful of teams, I believe the Leafs, the Habs, the Canucks, uh, the, the New York Rangers, uh, Pittsburgh. They had all played and they had all finished their third game before the Calgary Flames had even played one game or the Boston Bruins finally played their first game. I just kind of found that a little odd that there's all like, I get it's a truncated season. They're going to the Olympics. There's going to be lots of back-to-backs. It just, it feels like, you know, and I'm sure Boston Bruins fans are feeling very similar to how the Calgary Flames fans are felt where it was like, yeah, the season started, the season started. Oh wait, I got to wait a week for my team to play. Like it just was like the whole hoopla. Of, yeah. Let's get it going. Just, just, it was really lost. Because by the time we finally hit the ice last night, there had been like 200 other NHL games already this season. And it just felt so awkward. Yeah, and 
I know I'll, I'll take it from the, my fan base and how I looked at it. I, I just got to say, I was disappointed to see the Oilers in game one, but the fact that I haven't seen another Canadian team since I'm enjoying that. I'm, you know, we faced off against the flyers and Detroit and we got Buffalo coming up on, on Tuesday. I think it is. We're getting to see other teams other than Canadian franchises. Oh, thank God. It's such a relief. Um, I, I enjoy a good battle of Alberta, but man, was I disappointed when I saw the first game season was against the Oilers. It was like, can I not have the Panthers? Yeah. We played played, Tampa Bay. Like I could really go for an American team here. We played the Oilers three times in a row, two preseason and then the season opener. I think talking about actual games right now, I got two surprises and they're both out of the central division. I made a bold choice and I'm going to still stick with it. I picked Chicago to win the central division. They are good. <laughs> three games in. They are 0-2-1. They have one point. Um, now, is this just the you know early season jitters of new players and such? I don't know. The other team is Winnipeg. You know, Trevor, yes. I think you were very high on them. They're 0-2. What are your thoughts on them? Well, they're 0-2, and they've lost to not supposed to be very good teams that, that it surprised me um losing to san jose last night I'll, again it's weird things happen on the california trip but was game one game one was against anaheim and they got smoked that wasn't it wasn't even close it wasn't even close i picked winnipeg to get to the western conference finals and they're looking anything but right now um i gotta believe that they're gonna turn it around Connor Hellebuck last night did not look good. He uh, he was deep in his net a lot of times. Probably should have stopped a couple of the pucks that went in. I I got faith Winnipeg's going to turn it around. That team is way too deep up front to not. Um, Chicago, again, I'm a bit surprised. Flurry didn't look very good in his debut, which isn't good for you and I because we both picked him to win the Vesna this year. So, not looking good on that pick early on, but no. again, I have confidence that he'll turn it around. Uh, a couple surprises for me so far to start the season. And one of them is actually, sorry, one of them revi- re, uh, resides in the Atlantic division. And we've got the mighty Buffalo Sabres at 2-0 and early on. Yeah, if you would have told me they would have been two and eighty this season, well, and they still might, they still yeah. might. Like, so let's not get ahead of ourselves here. And one of those wins was against the uh, the Arizona Coyotes. But they're two and zero. Oh. Horrible. And I dreaded. I watched about ten minutes of that game. Some people may have seen me post on Twitter that I must have been hurting for hockey because I was watching that game. I'm surprised that they're they're two and zero. Oh. One of those wins was a shellacking. Where they, I believe it was against Montreal. Yep. They beat them, what was it, 5 1? 5 2, I think. 5 2 was the end. Last I saw it was 5 1. It was 5 to not enough. The fact that Buffalo scored five goals in a game <laughs> was uh, actually a bigger <laughs> surprise to me. This team's going to be horrible. And I think it's beginner's luck. I'll, I'll chalk it up to one of my other surprises, though, and this is going to c- come out of one of the best divisions in hockey. And I'm going to look at the Metropolitan Division. I'm going to look at who's at the very top of it right now and who's at the very bottom of it right now. You've got Pittsburgh at 2-0-1, five points. 
leading the division, including uh, beating Tampa Bay in Tampa Bay quite handily. I didn't see this coming. No Crosby, no Malkin, yet they've managed to rack up five or six points. Um, they had a, a big comeback was against Carolina or uh, no, it was against Florida. They were down two nothing and managed to come back and sneak a point out of that game. Like, again, I'm going to the bottom of the division now and the New York Islanders starting off 0-2. And I'm not going to lie, I haven't seen much of the Islanders yet, but this is supposed to be the team at the top of this division. And it's been a rough start and they're bleeding goals. They've given up 11 goals yeah. in two games. That is not Barry Trotz-esque defensive hockey. Well, they got uh, from Arloff out right now. So they, they're rolling with Sorokin and we'll have to see how that goes. But yeah, they, they were another one They're They're 0-1-2. It's early though. And I think some of these teams that are clearly pretenders are going to start weeding themselves out and getting lower in the standings and the teams we expect to be up there will start moving on up. So, yeah, I, do I expect Buffalo to be anywhere near the top of the, the division come the end? I know they'll be at the very bottom. Ken, let's, for the last little bit of our show, let's shift the focus to our teams in particular, the Calgary Flames and the Vancouver Canucks. I know I've only had one game, as we just discussed, to get to watch so far. And like you, I'm very much looking forward to uh, the next game as they're playing the Anaheim Ducks, which is a non-Canadian team. I don't think I've ever been so excited to see a Calgary-Anaheim game. Well, as, based on how they played against Winnipeg, you may not be. Yeah. Apparently, as, they're world beaters. Yeah, I'm excited to watch a non-Canadian team. Ken, how have the Vancouver Canucks started off? Well, the Canucks are 1-1-1. One, one, and, one. and I think... The game against their opening game against the, the Edmonton Oilers, they came back from two nothing, took it to a shootout, and lost there. It was a good game. It was a lot of back and forth play. Uh, I was never, I watched the whole thing, and I never thought with the Canucks down two nothing that they couldn't come back. I thought they were in the game. I felt that they were. It was a game that they should be in and could could take two points out of. Uh, it didn't work out that way. I mean they were able to hold Connor McDavid to no goals. That's uh, nice. <laughs> they didn't completely keep him off the score sheet. He didn't have a couple assists, but that was a game I thought, and that's going to be a team they're going to be fighting with all season long. So it was good to see them in the game and able to, to hang with them. The game against uh, the Flyers, again, that one went to a shootout, but they got down one, nothing. And, you know, I, I, it started while I was at work and I listened on the radio and on the drive home, I missed the Canucks scoring two goals, turned it on and they were up three, one. I was like, okay, this is good. They didn't hold on to the lead. Um, but they, they finished it off in the shootout. The flyers to me are going to be a team that is going to compete for the top. They're going to be a good team should make the playoffs. So I like that fight. The third game against Detroit, Man, uh, it wasn't the Red Wings three, Canucks one. It was Thomas Grice three, the Canucks one. Like it was two one. They Detroit did get the empty netter. The Canucks, I think I will say, deserved a better fate in that one. They they outplayed Detroit. They just got stymied by a goaltender who played a great game. Like that that game was was wasn't even close. It should have been the Vancouver Canucks. I think he made 40 saves, Thomas Grice. 
So that's the other part I like. The Canucks had 30 plus shots in the first game. I think they had 38. They had over 30 in the second game and they had 41 against Detroit. The Canucks over the last couple of years have been a team that have not taken shots. They've had very low shot counts in a lot of games and you're not going to win that way. Um, the new guys coming in, Tucker Pullman, he's played well. He, he's had a very quiet start to the season and that's good as a defensive defender. So, so far, the Canucks only took three of six points, but I've liked what I've seen so far. If they can continue this, they will compete for a playoff position this year. Yeah, the Canucks have had the start that you would expect them to have. They've been in all the games. They've had flashes of brilliance. And when you have as much high-end talent as the Vancouver Canucks do, you're going to get that. But they've also bled some leads, you know, 3-1 to Philly. That's also what I think the Vancouver Canucks are. I, I don't think their back end is all that good, and they are going to get scored on. Thatcher Demko's an all-world goalie. I will give that. Like, he's he's very, very good. But they're going to bleed chances. It, it, that's just what they are. So the fact that they blew a, a two-goal lead is also not surprising. They've got the talent to erase the two-goal lead against the Oilers, and they've got the deficiencies to lose the two-goal lead. It's yeah. The Vancouver Canucks are exactly, through three games, what the Vancouver Canucks are. If they can get, generate a little bit of consistency, I think this can be a really good team because, like I said, they have high-end talent. Well, they just have to get consistency. What's that? Well, that's, that's part of it, too, is you talked about that high-end talent and the consistency. They've started off with three – essentially starting players injured. Brock Besser hasn't played a game yet. So that that's throwing two lines out of shape because you got to get put someone else in there on the top line who probably isn't on the top line. So when Besser comes back, he'll be back with PD and Miller. Uh, you got Tyler Mott out. And who knows if Brandon Sutter is going to come back based on dealing with the, the COVID issue. So there's questions there. I think once those guys come back, especially Brock, that's going to be a huge boost when you're adding a guy who can put 30, 30 goals in the net. Absolutely. And I think we said this in our preview shows, the Canucks are going to be right there at the end of the season, fighting for a playoff spot. Uh, most, most likely the, the seventh or eighth spot, possibly third in the, in the Pacific or the last wild card spot. They'll be fighting the flames. They'll be fighting the sharks, the Kings, the ducks, Seattle, who's ever the crossover or the other wildcard team from, from the West out of the central, they're going to be right there. And so far they've, they've played the way I've expected them to play. Um, I want to shift gears quickly to the Calgary flames before we go, they've only played one game. And if you were to look at the final score and you'd see that they lost to the Edmonton Oilers five, two, you would think, oh my God, absolute tire fire, you know, fire, fire to living, fire sutter, fire everyone. Isn't and that wait, what's on I, Twitter anyway? Wait, I was just going to say that is what's on Twitter. Here's what I'm going to say. That score line's very deceiving. Five on five last night, the Calgary Flames owned that game. The shot chances were significantly higher. The high danger chances after the first period were significantly higher for the Calgary Flames. Edmonton didn't generate hardly anything at five on five. What happened, though, and this is going to happen to a lot of teams when they play the Edmonton Oilers, they got Connor McDavid did, 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 did on the power play. This 
McDavid had a hat trick, two goals on the power play. The, the Oilers scored two power play goals. The Flames only scored one power play goal. The Oilers got an empty netter. You know, and I know everybody's like, oh, McDavid hat trick. I don't care. He got an empty, empty netter. He had two goals. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to happen to a lot of teams against the Oilers. You got to stay out of the penalty box against that team. What I liked about what the Flames did last night, and Chuck, thankfully Rasmus Anderson didn't get suspended for it. They came out with a mentality with an identity. And it was, we're going to play, and I got to call it big boy hockey, in your face, rough, tough, physical. You're not going to push us around. Daryl Sutter type hockey. Um, I know I listened to a little bit of the uh, Barn Burner uh, after show. Uh, it's a new one out for uh, Calgary Flames Twitter where they, they said that they felt like the Flames didn't have an identity. And I totally disagree with them 100% on their conversation from last night. I thought they did have an identity. And that was, you're not going to fuck with us. You're not going to push us around. Rasmus Anderson pretty much headbutted Kyler Yamamoto and fed him about five rights in the face after he bumped Jacob Markstrom. Yessi Pugliarvi bumped Jacob Markstrom. And he got above mitful of about five gloves. Uh, Zach Cassian hit Sean Monahan from behind. No call. He got four Calgary Flames, including Nikita Zadorov, right in his face, like, you know, throwing punches. I just really felt like the Flames came out with an identity. You're not going to push us around. And we're not going to be this weak team that you're going to roll over. So I really liked what I saw there. I liked their five-on-five play. I thought they actually dictated the game at five on five. Unfortunately, the special team, they lost the special teams battle and against good teams like the Oilers with superstar generational talent, that's not going to cut it. And you saw it last night. They lost five, two in a game. They probably should have won three, one had they won the special teams battle. Yeah. And I've noticed that in some of the games I've watched it, teams are capitalizing more on the power play. And if you're going to do that, you're going to win games. You know, that was part of how Philly got back in against the Canucks. They scored six on four with the empty net to, to bring it within one or tie the game. So you got to win those battles. And if you're taking penalties, taking dumb ones, then you're going to get, you're going to get hurt. And I've seen it in some of the Canucks games, questionable calls that it's not questionable that the call was made, but questionable that you put yourself in a position to get a call made. And those are the things teams got to clean up. And I think, you know, in, in the Pacific division, you got to be careful. There's too many guys in this, in this place that can, that can hurt you really badly. So. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with that. I'm not one of those fans. I'm not going to be like Calgary flames, Twitter, where the sky is falling after one game. Come on guys. Let's be better than that. It's one bloody game. It's one of 82. If this team's own five, and have lost every game 5-2 after two weeks. Well, then I'm going to be like, fire everybody. But as of right now, I actually <laughs> didn't mind how they played last night. I thought they played relatively well. But you would have never have known that. Eric Goodbranson led the Flames decor in analytics last night. So I guess for MVP. one night... Yeah, I guess for one night to all the uh, Eric Goodbranson haters out there, I guess you could shove it. But do I expect that to continue? Probably not. But I actually thought he was noticeable for the right reasons last night. And Nikita Zadorov, I'm sorry, he was noticeable for the wrong reasons last night. And any criticism uh, lobbied his way, like Calgary Flames Twitter, was probably warranted. 
Well, you heard it here. Trevor at the BleachCon 1. Good Branson for Norris. Absolutely. Put his name on the trophy now. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, we've talked about it a lot. How team, you know, fans focus in on one or two players and just have a field day with it. You got to have the expectations, know what your team has and what they are. If they're in the minors or on waivers, it's probably for a reason. You know, the, the executives and the, the coaches kind of know what they're doing. Well, you know what? I want to quickly bring up that point. You and I talked about this off air last night. Every team's fan base values their first and second line AHL prospects way higher than GMs around the league. And you and I discussed this and it was more or less, if these players were that good, they would be in the NHL. If these players were that good, you wouldn't need the likes of signing the Alex Chasons of the world and the Trevor Lewis's of the world. Guys, there's a reason a lot of these guys are still in the AHL, and it's because they are AHLers, not NHLers. Yep. They're not being blocked. Very few guys have their path blocked to the NHL. Most guys pave their own path to the NHL and don't allow themselves to be blocked. Those people are called NHLers. Absolutely. Well, Canucks fans, Flames fans, hockey fans, let us know what you think. Trevor's at the BleacherCon1 on Twitter. I'm at the BleacherCon2. Again, want to throw in apologies to Jason Mullis for forgetting to hit record. Uh, we will have him <laughs> back. So look out for that one. We will make sure everyone knows when that's happening. But that is actually our show for this week. I want to thank everyone for tuning in, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, everyone.